little saying that goes, everything happens for a reason. But sometimes the reason is that you're stupid. When I was going through my late teenage years, frequently my mum would express her frustration with me by saying, you've O-levels for this and you've A-levels for that, but you have none for common sense. It is very frustrating when you watch someone you love do something that is very foolish and potentially harmful to themselves. Apparently, I must have given my mum plenty of those frustrating moments. And as we begin our study of chapter 3 of Paul's letter to the Galatians, we see that he is clearly deeply frustrated with the choices of the Galatian Christians for whom he cares dearly. Paul is getting personal because he's getting pastoral. He uses strong words because he doesn't want his readers to miss the point. He speaks in this harsh way out of love for them. In verse 1 we read, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. J.B. Phillips, in his now 73-year-old book, Letters to Young Churches, rendered this verse as, You dear idiots of Galicia, surely you can't be so idiotic. In a challenge to their poor choices, Paul has a series of questions. The first is, who has bewitched you? In Paul's mind, the only reasonable explanation for their irrational conduct is that someone has cast a spell upon them. They have become bewitched by the law. If you ever have small children around your home, you know you have to be extremely careful. Because if there is anything left sitting around and the child picks it up, there's only one place it's going. Straight into the child's mouth. Little children will swallow anything. And so, it seems to Paul, will infant believers. After having received and responded to the message of the gospel as preached by Paul, along came others who preached a different message. We know them as Judaizers. And their challenge to the Galatian Christians was a theology that must have gone something like this. You began in simple faith, well done. But you want to grow, you want to go on with Christ, don't you? If that's the case, then you need to keep the ceremonial law to do so. Paul's frustration is, and every teacher will know something of this, not that the Galatians were stupid and consequently didn't know any better, but rather that they were smart and they had failed to make the use of the intelligence that they possessed. They should have known better, and so should we. But it is so easy for us to become persuaded that it all depends on us, to convince ourselves that our position before God is all down to our performance. That's the default setting of our hearts and minds. That's the internal bias that daily and deliberately draws us away from the gospel truth. Further to our own internal problems, we have an external enemy who is ever eager to deceive us. We do not wrestle with flesh and blood, but the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. 
Ephesians 6 verse 12. Our adversary likes to make us think that the world revolves around us, that we are at the center of everything. When he came to tempt Jesus in the wilderness, his first attack was directed at the Saviour's hunger. To make Jesus think about himself and his personal needs. And he comes to believers in every age and desires to turn their focus from divine accomplishment to human achievement. But we know and understand that in the Christian life, you are not only saved by the gospel, you are matured and you grow in grace by the gospel. All of God's gifts of justification and sanctification and so on are gifts of grace and not as the result of merit. Paul says, don't be bewitched by the law. Rather, begin at the cross. He wants them to refocus upon the cross. He writes, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. It's difficult to understand what he means by this phrase. But it seems likely that he's saying that so vivid was his preaching, so powerfully dramatic was his portrayal of the crucifixion. It was as though his hearers were standing at the foot of Calvary. They had watched Jesus die. They had heard his cry of tetelestai. It is finished. They knew the merits of Jesus' finished work upon the cross have no expiry date. They're always valid and available and they had experienced the life and eternity transforming power of the cross at work in their own hearts. Paul's sermon repertoire was limited. He only and always preached on the cross. As he wrote to the church in Corinth, those verses that we shared at the start of our time together, 1 Corinthians 1 23 24. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. The gospel is an announcement of a historical event, a proclamation of the very hinge of history, the cross of Calvary. The ancient creed that has united Christians throughout the ages states, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. The cross of Calvary was not some sort of nice idea. It was a moment in time. A real person was nailed to a real piece of wood at the top of a real hill outside a real city. There is a calling in this text to every preacher to ensure that he draws his hearers to the cross and that every sermon should be full of Christ and of Christ crucified for our sins. As John Stott has written, there is then, it is safe to say, no Christianity without the cross. If the cross is not central to our religion, ours is not the religion of Jesus. So Paul tells the Galatians, don't be bewitched by the law. 
begin at the cross as you are born anew by the Spirit. The cross is the key to our salvation. The Christian life must begin at the cross. There it can be no other starting point. And the confirmation of the efficacy of the cross is the presence of the Holy Spirit of God working in the life of the believer. Todd Wilson points out, unless our sins have been washed away by the blood of Christ, the Holy Spirit cannot enter our lives. Apart from having our sins forgiven, the Holy Spirit would destroy, not sanctify us. The Christian makes a journey to the cross for cleansing and then steps out into the new life of Christ, enabled by the indwelling power of the Spirit of God. As Paul writes in Romans 8, verse 9, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. The Christian life is necessarily the spread and part life as Scott demonstrated to the boys and girls. Paul raises this question with the Galatians, verse 2. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spread by works of the law or by hearing with faith? He wants to and will ask them many questions, but the one key question to which he demands an answer is this. On what basis did you receive the Holy Spirit? Was it your good works or God's great gift? Don't be bewitched by the law. Begin at the cross, born anew by the Spirit on the basis of faith. When you ask faithful members of the church about their walk with Christ, most will answer something like this. I'm doing the best that I can. The natural response is to consider your current works rather than confidently stand on Christ's finished work. To make the statement, I'm doing the best I can, is an offence to Christ. There's an old sermon illustration of how in a large textile mill hung a sign which read, When your thread becomes tangled, call the foreman. A young woman knew on the job, whose thread became tangled, thought, I'll just straighten this out myself. She tried, but the situation only worsened. Finally, she called the foreman. I did the best I could, she said. No, you didn't, said the foreman. To do the best, you should have called me. Jesus is not our last resort. He is our only resort. The 14th chapter of the Westminster Confession of Faith is all about saving faith. In the second paragraph it states, But the principal acts of saving faith are accepting, receiving and resting upon Christ alone for justification, sanctification and eternal life by virtue of the covenant of grace. When, through faith, Resting upon Christ alone, you receive the Holy Spirit. You receive everything necessary for salvation in the past, present and future. The indwelling Spirit 
brings guarantees of redemption, regeneration, adoption, justification, sanctification, perseverance, assurance and glorification. Paul's message. Don't be bewitched by the law. Begin at the cross. Born anew by the Spirit on the basis of faith. Being brought to perfection by the Spirit. Verse 3 he asks. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit. Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Can you imagine a Formula One race? You'll have to use your imagination since there won't be any for a while. Lewis Hamilton is on pole position. His new Mercedes engine is working perfectly. He out-qualifies all the others. But then, sitting on the front row of the grid as the starting lights come on, he climbs from his car and attempts to win the race by pushing it round the track for 305 kilometres. That's a ridiculous idea. It makes no sense. And this is the very point the Apostle is striving to make in this text. To begin your Christian life empowered by the Holy Spirit is great. But it is a sign of insanity to attempt to complete it through human effort. It is little wonder that for some people they find living the Christian life burdensome and very difficult. But it is only so when we attempt to live it in our own strength and wisdom. But when we pray, as Paul encourages the Ephesians in Ephesians 5:18, that the Lord would fill us freshly with his spirit each day, then the power of the presence of God impels us, and we bear Christ's light and easy yoke. And maybe some will say, I'd like to become a Christian, but I could never keep it up. Exactly. You don't have to. The call to become a Christian is not a call to sort your life out, but to give your life away to the only one who can give you true, abundant and eternal life. Jesus Christ gave his life away so that you would gain this wonderful gift, this life that lasts forever. May we know that we have come to the cross and we live our lives founded with confidence upon his finished work at the cross. Daily depending upon the Spirit, listening to his voice speaking through his word. May we live to the honour and glory of his name in this and every day before us.